You are listening to the Living Truth Podcast with John Corr and C.L. Mitchell. Please stay tuned to Living Truth as we engage in an in-depth journey of discovery through the discussion of God's Word for the purpose of devotion and godly living. We pray that you would be blessed through today's conversation and that God would sanctify your heart in truth, for His Word is truth. Good afternoon, this is John Corr and the Reverend C.L. Mitchell coming to you from Phoenix, Arizona. This is the Living Truth Podcast, and in case you are new to us, uh, we are two friends that love to get together uh, to talk about the Bible and life and Jesus and and God, and uh, we have a fun time doing it, and we usually go through books of the Bible, and uh, we envision that you as our listener are... Uh, seated near us, overhearing our conversation. And so, uh, welcome. And uh, so before we get started, of course, I want to welcome my good friend, Reverend Bishop. Hello. How are you doing, man? I'm doing well. I'm doing quite well. We are actually recorded our second time on YouTube, so go wave to the camera and say hello. Hello, everyone. We're new to YouTube, so be patient with us. This is a new thing for us, but we're excited. We're actually adding... All of our previously recorded podcasts onto YouTube. <clears throat> so look for that and subscribe. Hit the little subscribe button. You know, we got to promote our page and uh, uh, adventure into this YouTube uh, universe. So, anyway, uh, welcome and uh, how you been? I've been well. Yeah? Yes. You're a busy man, dude. <laughs> <laughs> I've been well as an understatement. <laughs> I've been busy. <laughs> She'd be more like it, you know? Because you are a busy man. And that's okay. That it's good to be busy, you know. I delight in all of it, though. But it's good to have conversations, you know. Sometimes yes, you just want to have good conversations and right. uh, with good friends. And uh, we've been uh, actually going through the book of Jonah, <clears throat> and this is our nineteenth recording on oh my. <laughs> Jonah. That's <laughs> two pages in my Bible. Literally, <laughs> it's. <laughs> Jonah starts here <laughs> at the bottom of this page, so one, good. two, and it ends right here. 19. This is our 19th recording. I don't know about you, but uh, <laughs> I want to see I want to see the man get saved, you know? <laughs> no, but we, we have fun. We like to d- dig in uh, nice and deeply into God's Word. Uh, God's Word is rich, and it's deep, and, and you can go... And skim the surface and go snorkeling, or you can go deep sea diving, and you'll be blessed and enriched uh, in either way you go. So let me do this. If you have your Bibles at home, or if you want to just listen in, we are in chapter 4. Thank the Lord, we're in chapter 4, after 19 recordings. And uh, I'm going to pick it up. We're actually going to start with verse 5, but I'm going to get a running start. I'll start with verse 1. And But verse 5 is where, really where we're going to pick it up. Um. Actually, let me pick up in verse 10 of chapter 3. When God saw their deeds that they had, re- they had turned from their wicked way, then God relented concerning the calamity which he had declared he would bring upon them, and he did not do it. But it greatly displeased Jonah, and he became angry. He prayed to the Lord and said, Please, Lord, was, it not, this, was not this what I said while I was in my own country? Therefore, in order to forestall this, I fled to Tarshish, uh, for I knew that you are a gracious and compassionate God, slow to anger and abundant in loving kindness, and one who relents concerning calamity. Therefore, 
Now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for death is better to me than life. The Lord said to him, Do you have good reason to be angry? Now that's verse 4. Now we're going to pick up verse 5. Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. There he made a shelter for himself and sat under under it in the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. So the Lord God appointed a plant, and it grew up over Jonah to be shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. And Jonah was extremely happy about the plant. But God appointed a worm when dawn came the next day, and it attacked the plant, and it withered. When the sun came up, God appointed a scorching east wind, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul to die, saying, Death is better to to me than life. Then God said to Jonah, Do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? And he said, I have good reason to be angry, even even to death. Then the Lord said, You had compassion on the plant for which you did not work, and which you did not cause to grow, which came up overnight and perished overnight. Should should I not have compassion on Nineveh, the great city in which there are more than 120,000 persons who do not know the difference between their right and left hand, as well as many animals? And that's the end of Jonah. Wow, what an interesting, well, what an interesting ending. But, you know, we've traveled so far with Jonah, right? We've, yes. we've, we've, we've journeyed with him from his initial call in chapter 1 to go, he's sent by God, hey, go to the Ninevites and, and declare to them, warn them uh, that they need to repent or else, um, you know, I'm going to judge them. And of course, uh, as we all know, Jonah fled the opposite direction. He went, instead of going east towards uh, Nineveh, he went west and hopped on a boat and fled as far as, headed towards Tarshish, which could be as far as Spain. And he, uh, of course, um, gets in the boat and there's a storm. God sends a storm. Eventually, they figure out Jonah's the cause of the storm. The sailors cried on God. Jonah says, I'm the reason, throw me overboard and the storm will stop. And that's what happens. Then, of course, Jonah gets swallowed by a fish, a great fish. And in the midst of now he's in the fish, he then finally prays to God. And then God, or the, the fish delivers him, like an Uber driver delivers him to the, his destination, you know. And then he goes to Nineveh. Nineveh was a city of the Assyrian Empire, and and he delivers a message. And he says, in, in so many days, God, you know, God will, will send judgment unless you repent. And they repented. And although animals and kings and everybody else in between repented and they called on God and Jonah's upset about that yes and and at the end of chapter 3 when he, they turn um and in verse uh, 1 of chapter 4 it says it displeased Jonah so now Jonah is now now there's this conversation between God and Jonah which really the the story this is sort of like the culmination of the story i think because it's maybe the the whole point of it but now jonah has this conversation with god and about god's own grace and mercy and compassion which yes. jonah does not like and you would think that jonah has learned something in his in his adventure uh but he hasn't so let's talk about this because this is a an interesting ending and it's it's an interesting um um 
a point that the Lord has in talking to Jonah. So let's talk about it. Yeah. So I think there are a few things that should be mentioned here um, um, structurally, John, before we we undertake an effort to to unpack some. Of You're the, talking structurally within the text of within the, the script, text yeah. before okay. we undertake. Um, an effort to unpack the meaning of this. Yes. First of all, one of the um, facets that lean to the legitimacy of Scripture is God and the authors are not always concerned about um, um, ending something in an easy way. Right. Abrupt endings right. Um, actually occur in various aspects throughout the Scripture that would be uncomfortable for us. And right. indeed, they were often uncomfortable for uh, individuals who sought to redact or edit right. or adjust Scripture. And that's one of the means by which we were able to see where people attempted to sometimes right. add to the Scripture. And it's interesting that these the questions that are asked in chapter 4 <clears throat> are almost unanswered, right? Yes. And at the end, and of course, uh, do you have a right to be to be angry with the initial question that God asked Jonah, he doesn't really answer. And then at the end, God asked the final question, which remains unanswered. Yes. And that's interesting. That And, uh, and we see this as a pattern sometimes throughout scriptures. In, in fact, sometimes it was a very Jewish way of right, teaching, right. right? You'll see this in Luke 15 at the end of the prodigal son um, uh, story. Yes, it, yes. It just leaves the audience <clears throat> yes. hanging. You'll see this in Matthew's gospel um, at the end of the disciples' prayer, which is miss... Uh, um, um, the Lord's Prayer, you yeah, call it. Right, which is not I call the it the prayer. Lord's Prayer he gave right. to his disciples, okay? So it's still the Lord's Prayer he gave to us. <laughs> yeah, deliver us um, um, when he says... Uh, but it's not the Lord's debts. Prayer he would have prayed, it's the Lord's right, Prayer that right. he, ta- he gave to us. So He, he, he taught his he disciples... Taught to pray in right. that manner, right? Yes. Who tells? Yes. Um, but you see that abrupt ending, and we can tell where there was an attempt, if you will, to kind of give a more smooth right. conclusion right. to that particular prayer. Um, um, and, and so throughout the warp and woof of Scripture, even in the in, Gospel of Mark, yes. at the ending of the Gospel yes. of Mark, what you'll notice is um, um, that there's probably a shorter ending and it's a more abrupt I like ending. The, I like the edit ending myself. Yes. <laughs> but, but, but what you look at is you see this as a pattern. And oft, what, an, uh, what a storyteller, uh, what a, a uh, speaker would do in a Judaic kind of setting was, first of all, they would answer questions with questions. Questions, yeah. Um, the second thing that they would oft do is leave you on a cliff hanging so that you didn't necessarily get the satisfying answer to the end of the story because they would have what was known as a historical present tense, right? So that as they were telling the story, they would go from a past tense into a present tense, and then they would invite the listener into the narrative so that you held your answer to the query. And that's you see that in the book of Acts, how it ends. Absolutely. It doesn't really end. <laughs> it says, uh, speaking of Paul, he stayed full two, year, full two years in his own rented quarters and welcomed all who came to him, preaching the kingdom of God and teaching concerning the Lord Jesus Christ with an openness and unhindered. And that's the end of the book of, book of Acts. Yes. So it's as if you're, as the listener, the reader, is invited to now be a part of the, the character of that story or... 
to sort of say, now what's your ending? You know, yeah. what do you do with that? I, I think that's that's a very powerful. You know, we but, and there's creates that creates we like things to have closure, right? And this gives us this doesn't <laughs> have and, that. And I, and I think there's a tool that is being employed here, um, literarily, right? And I think there is a a spiritual tool that is being employed here, um, wherein the author. The historical author is inviting his readers or listeners, and the Holy Spirit is inviting the modern reader and yeah. listener into a conclusion as to whether or not they agree with God's way right. and God's plan and God's methodology and God's mercy. And so my, my suggestion to our listeners as they are beholding this story, don't become flustered or frustrated, right. but see this as God's means to put a magnifying glass to one's own mind right? so that you are led to that place where you are really being asked by God are you comfortable with the mercy and grace of God shown to others? And that's the thing is you're supposed to. It's not just about Jonah, that guy long ago. It's really you're in the now you're in the story. You're being asked that same question. You know, you're right. invited to to hear from God in that way, which is when you read scripture, of course, you want to read scripture understanding it that it's not mm. it's yes, it's telling us about people that lived long right. ago and far away, but at the end of the day is God speaking to us? about our own hearts, because, I mean, I think Jonah represents not just himself, he represents the, the, the Jewish people at Absolutely. that time, and of course, you could understand his own reticence of of even wanting the, the Assyrians, the Ninevites, to have mercy shown to them, you know? Right. But this, of course, now tells us as much about Jonah's faults, and our faults too, as it is about God's greatness, you know? And to see where how God takes his time to to speak to Jonah, I think it's very interesting how God really uh, has this conversation with Jonah to get him to think and get him to see from God's perspective or try right. to see from God's perspective. So, all right. So the, the the structure. I think there's another facet that if we notice the content of this particular book, yeah. Even though the mission has been toward the Assyrians or the Ninevites, right. The person with whom God has had to wrestle is Jonah. Mostly is Jonah. Yeah, we. Th- I've said this before that we think really the the book is about God's mission to to Jonah about the the Assyrians. The the point of the book is to try to reach Jonah, not just to reach the Assyrians, the Ninevites, but to reach Jonah. It seems like God has put so much activity and effort yeah. into reaching His own prophet. And so I think this book gives us. This marvelous behind-the-scenes struggle with the conflict that can go on in the man of God. Yeah. Or, for that sake, in, in the woman of God, right. in the believer. Because the book could have been far more brief and showed the call of God, the, the mission yeah. of the man, and the success of it, right? But what we see here is God pulling back the curtain and allowing us to see very oft the conflict that goes on in the so, heart and in the mind of the people or the individuals whom he uses. I think it's interesting that 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 the Lord, and just to piggyback what you just said, the, that the Lord has great interest in revealing our hearts to him, or our hearts to ourselves, so to speak. Mm-hmm. 
and his heart his, and his heart to us as well so when jesus calls you know, his disciples and of course he begins to teach them and and uh, uh teaches them the maybe the the ethics of christianity um don't look at a don't commit adultery the law says but don't look at a woman with lust you know mm-hmm. is what i'm telling you don't steal or don't covet but if you have that in your heart you know mm-hmm. um or if you have murderous, if you don't murder, but don't have murderous thoughts, like I'm, I'm, I'm revealing uh, um, a greater depth of, of really where the transformation has to take place. And many times, you know, as believers, we think, okay, we're saved, we're on, on God's side, and that's the end of it. But it's, right. really, it's really the beginning of it. You know, I think the, the goal of God showing us our own hearts, it's easy to look at other people and judge them and say, well, look at them, look what they're doing. And God says, "No, no, no! I have great interest in your heart." <laughs> you know? Absolutely, and and that and that brings us into. I'm going to make a similar point to the last, but it is distinct. We're in this this um, um, peripatological section, this sanctificational section, right. right, where we see the growth process right. of of a believer. But again, it also lends to the veracity of Scripture in another way. In Hold that. On. I, there's two big words you used. <laughs> Where's my Oxford dictionary? <laughs> Peripatological. That has to do with walking. In... Yeah. The, yes. the, this term peripatos <laughs> is that term that is in Greek that lay behind the concept, the theological yes. concept of sanctification. Yes, I understand. Right? I know what you're saying. <laughs> Absolutely. Um, <laughs> Just for the... Halach in, in, to in walk. Hebrew, right? Yeah. Yes. Um, the, the walk of the believer. Yes. Um, and what was um, the second word you used? <laughs> I know what you're saying. I just, for the sake of the, the people the, may it, not... It lends to the, the veracity or the truthfulness, the truthfulness or the authenticity, yes. if you will, of Scripture. God doesn't hide Our the flaws. struggles <laughs> yeah. of his believers all the way from Genesis, all the way to the end of the book. So you see this canonical facet where where we are laid bare and transparent yeah. for who we are, yeah. and it and it shouts grace, you, doesn't it? But it does. And you know something, and this is something we'll get into into this part of Jonah. But I think, in a way, and I think Jonah even is demonstrates this in a way. There's oftentimes we're not willing to admit our own faults. We'd rather deflect and say, "Look what they're doing." Ah, you know, look how bad they are, and and we'll want to. Uh, oftentimes avoid looking in the mm-hmm. own mirror. We see that in the church today. There's a whole segment, segments of, of, uh, or of Christianity where it's a lot of other people's faults of things that happened in the past. Oh, we should... It's like, wait, hold on. That's Genesis 3 stuff. That's deflection from your own sin. Yeah. And God's interest in transforming you individually. Forget about the, what everyone else has done. God says, well, what about you? You, you know? Yeah. And so and, I think there's there's a tendency for for us as believers to avoid that question. Like, I think Jonah is really much avoiding that. And and let's come full circle, if we may, that remember he had successful successful ministry before. Yeah. But this is an area in which he has a real struggle. Yeah. So successful servants of God have real internal conflicts and struggles. Yeah. And by the way, what the church does today is sort of if he's having a struggle in this area, then he's disqualified for ministry. But what we see is God working with him as he's working through that struggle. Yeah. 
and and so I I just How come, uh, this just just because I know we'll get to the text in a second, but you just said you just said something about how often in the church when somebody has a struggle we want to disqualify them. Yeah. Um. God is. I mean, we'll we'll we'll. It's like we're looking for to throw people out. You know, as a church, we're constantly looking for who's. Here's Jesus after Peter has denied him three times. Three times he denied that yeah. he knew him. He, he would be completely disqualified in our eyes. In our eyes, ministry. Peter, forget about it. You've done it. And yet Jesus, he doesn't wait, wait twenty years, twenty days. It's you know, after, you know, well, how much time after the resurrection. He reinstates them. He not only reinstates him, he says, after you are converted, yeah. strengthen the brothers. Yeah. Now, that's interesting because the after you are converted is vertical, right? Yeah. But the conversion of your brothers, or rather the strengthening rather, yeah. of your brothers, is horizontal ministry. Yeah. yeah. I'm, I'm, and I'm not saying that there should not be accountability. I'm just suggesting that the biblical text forces me to rethink my approach to how I handle ministers in ministry yeah. with conflicts. And, yeah. and, and an honest <clears throat> facet to suggest that we can do really well in one area, right? right? Right. But the person who's doing really well can have internal struggles. And I think we need to be very God careful right. in how we handle and have a propensity to mishandle right. even the men and women of God who are undergoing those complexities and those struggles. I think, you know, as as Jonah, as a as a servant of God, a, a man of God, who is now coming to face with the grace of God, because mm-hmm. really he's being challenged by the grace of God to the Ninevites, which we'll talk about in a second, but now he's now also it's going to be experiencing God's grace. And as as people of God, sometimes we don't realize that God's way more compassionate and gracious than we are. Mm-hmm. You know, uh, we're not as... We're, how many times should I forgive somebody who's saying, seven times, Lord? Oh, that's very yeah. generous in my eyes. And God, Jesus says, no, 70 times seven, unlimited, basically. Yeah. Really? That's God's level of compassion. So, you know, we're, we're wanting to so quick to put limits on the grace of God, where God's like, you understand, <laughs> if it wasn't for my grace and compassion, you yeah. know, none of us could, could survive, you know? So let me mention one more theological nuance and then we go forward. Um, so concerning the sanctification of this man, what I want to believe is after chapter two, yes, I want to believe yeah, this prayer, chapter this, two. This is done. Yeah. This is over with. Yeah. Chapter four tells me it's not that simple. Chapter four tells me that the work of the Holy Spirit is a constant drilling yes. down into yes. what I may think is over. Yeah. And and that triumph happens sometimes in an acute fashion, instantly. Yeah. Right. 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 But sometimes the victory that I experience is an overtime process. Yeah. And and God confronts it with other situations and he says, You thought you were over that, but there's still some of See, that deep down in your yeah. heart. I I love I love what you're saying there because, you know, you would think in chapter two, he's in the fish, he's praying, he's come to it the end of himself, he's 
come, he's seen the light. Dramatic, right? right? And he's come to the edge of death. I mean, to the very, you know, edge of Sheol and everything else. But God, <laughs> God knows. I love God is that persistent pursuer of 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 our heart to the point of, hey, you 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 think you have the victory in in experiences, yeah. but this experience that really changed your heart, Jonah. What's hidden to others, yeah, is not hidden to God. Yeah, what's hidden to us, what we're blind to in ourselves, yeah, is not hidden to God. And even though but, we go through something and we say, "Man, I'm I'm over that, God." Yeah, I want to be careful in even saying that I'm over it, because ultimately God is the one who assesses that and says, "Hey, Abram, what I asked of you." At Genesis 12, I I couldn't ask a Genesis 22 of you yet because right, you haven't you grown writing. to that degree. And do you notice that the? And I know we have to get to the text, but yeah. do you notice that when God is addressing Jonah here, Jonah is right now at this point he's not upset about the Ninevites. He's upset, he's upset at God. Do you have, I knew, he said, he says, um, please, Lord, was this not what I, I said while I was still in my own country? Before he even left right. Israel, I, for I, I, I fled to Tarshish to forestall this. I knew this would happen, because why? Because I knew you are a gracious and compassionate God. Right. His problem now is not with the Ninevites, it's with God. That's huge. It That's is. huge. That's like, wait, wait. Um, I knew you were compassionate and gracious. Now, what kind of hard-heartedness do you have to be at to complain yeah. about the grace and compassion of God? That's messed but, up. But he's not by himself, is he? No, he's not. I, I want to I, very quickly say hey, he's not by himself. I wrote this in my notes as I was I was um, taking some time yesterday to, to go through this, and I just wrote down uh, Jonah is like an Old Testament Pharisee. <laughs> right? He's an Old Testament Pharisee, and we have Pharisees that are around today who have trouble with the grace of God. Yes. Who have trouble with grace. Let's get to the text, you know? So, um, so, so as, we, as we're preparing to, to go through this text, so we are By now the way, in... I'm caffeinated, and you have decaf. <laughs> I do. I think I need another, another caffeinated. I've, I need another, another round of coffee here, because uh, we're just going to get warmed up. Anyway... So where are we at? Where are we going so, to go? So in, in chapter 4, we're in the latter section of this book. Yes, we are. What we're going to see, however, is, is a master at work in, in articulating yes. the closure. I love here. it. I love how... And, and, and we're going to, in the closure, we're going to come to this place emotionally where we are almost disappointed. So we should walk through this emotionally <clears throat> because on one to end... To disappointed in who? What we're going to be disappointed in Jonah. Yes. But emotionally, we're going to watch as God is a master rabbi here. Yes, he is. Yes, He's he going is. to use pedagogical or instructional tools yes. that are around the prophet in order to articulate his lessons. He's going to teach and, him some and, life lessons. And provoke and evoke out of the prophet what he's so, thinking. Okay, so let's let's pick it up because in verse 4, it, it, the Lord, it says, The Lord said, Do you have good reason to be angry? Question. Jonah right. doesn't answer. It says in verse 5, Then Jonah went out from the city and sat east of it. Um, 
there uh, and there he made a shelter for himself and sat under a tree or sat in the shade until he could see what would happen the, to the city. So God asked him a question. You have a reason to be angry? Jonah just leaves like he did in the first chapter. Right, right. But but John, in Hebrew, when you're asking questions, there are certain ways to ask questions. But I'm talking about the answer. R- right. He just right. leaves. And this is a rhetorical question where God is inferring, do you have, and I know you don't. Right. So while it's self but I just I just think it's there's a parallel with, with, with chapter one Absolutely. with the command of God and Jonah doesn't stop and talk with God. He just goes he just flees the opposite direction. Right. You know, that and time he key. he goes that's key. He flees he it's interesting because in the first chapter he flees he flees uh, to the west, but he goes to this the ocean to see yes. inhabitable, terrible, you know, not not conducive for man to be out you know, out there. Now he goes east now into the desert, um, also inhabitable, it's going to be scorching hot, as running away from the presence of God again, he's doing that. This has so much in it. I can't wait to get into this. Let's do it. But, but, okay, so first thing that Yahweh asks this question in verse 4, and it's self-answering, Yeah. but the prophet doesn't engage him. Because he doesn't want to face it. Now, that's profound yeah. because the truth of the matter is, in ancient Near East, background culture, right? Right. When you have a rabbi speaking to you, you don't, you don't lose face. Right. Because face is representative of fellowship. So, so, so we, there's something insulting going on here. It's, it's just making me think, it's almost like that where you, you turn a cold shoulder to somebody. Right. Because you have something, because you have something, you just can't stand to look at that person because you're you're so offended at what they did or say. So you just can't. I can't look at that person. You just kind of just give them the don't even give don't even look at them because you're just so upset. But the person that he's doing this to is God. Is God. So 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 we have to do two things. So we'll play at the theological level. Yes. But we have to play at the the human psychological right, emotive right. level, right? And we have to ask, what's going on? in his temperament that will allow him to have this kind of attitude, this man fit. Yeah. This this He's pouting. He is pouting. But but this temper has really gotten out of his control to the point where he thinks this is okay with God. Right. Um and that's not okay. But then as we're going on, theologically, have we forgotten what God just did for you in chapter 2? Yeah, but but I'm going to play Jonah's, Jonah's advocate here. Yeah, okay. but I deserve that, God. Because uh, I'm, I'm your special person here. I'm your prophet, God. You know, I'm, I, I'm, I'm on a higher level than those Ninevites. I deserve that special attention. Yeah, he that, seems to strike a humility in chapter two. It's not a repentance. That's okay. See, he doesn't even reach that point. No, he's That's not what, thoroughly we've, broken. We've looked for two. that in chapter two. We've looked for him to say, it talks about how I called out to God, my distress. Great. He answered me. I cried for help. And then it says, um, um, he, he never gets to a point where he, he admits responsibility right. or guilt repentance um he doesn't get there 
No. That's, so that's a clue. Chapter 2 is a clue. If you look in chapter 2, verse number 7, while I was fainting yes, away, I remembered. Now, that's Zakar, right? Yes. By the way, remember. we've already highlighted this. <clears throat> that is so outside of the First Testament thinking because God is the one who remembers or acts right. toward the believer in the First Testament. But the believer doesn't proactively That's the just difference. act toward God. Okay, now stop there. This is this is is critical. Okay, because I think the difference there between and God remembered Noah. Mm-hmm. Jonah remembered God. Yeah. Okay. If your foundation for your belief in the Lord, your Christianity, is on what you, if if it's on you. I remember the Lord. You'll never, then you'll never understand the grace of God yeah. as your foundation. I think this is critical because, because if it's because if it's about you doing, hey, listen, I remember those Ninevites. They didn't remember God. I did though. I deserve this. It's almost like this. This it starts with it started with me, rather than it started with God. Yeah. The grace always starts with God, necessarily necessarily right because the beauty of god's love that is extended through mercy and grace the beauty of that can only be found in the source of the giver right not in the recipient as the object it's inter isn't it interesting to think now we're fast forwarding to the new testament that jesus purposely chooses disciples who are on opposite ends of the spectrum politically social economically Tax collector, a Jewish yeah. man who works for the Romans, and zealots in the same group of disciples and probably fishermen and everything else in between where there isn't a, I'm here because I, hey, I did right. this. I know, right. I, I did this. No, Jesus says, you didn't choose me, I chose you. Right. And almost to just level that playing field and say, hey, if you think it was because of anything you brought to the table <laughs> while you were here... You're mistaken. I think Jonah is on that that part. He thinks, "Hey, I did this," you know. Right. So go on. Let's go back. So when you're looking at this text in verse number five, chapter four. To, oh, I'm, I'm, uh, yes, chapter verse number five of chapter four. You have to read very carefully because the details really matter here, right? So, yes. so yes. then Jonah went out from the city and sat. East, East of that's it. significant. Now, that's significant. Because <laughs> in the Bible, geographical moves are not inconsequential. No. Now, now, you have to go back to the law of first mention, because yes. when man first moves east, yes. geographically, yes. it's not a good move. No, no, no. He's moving east away from the the presence of God right. in Eden, right? Right. Which is representative of fellowship with God. Now, I don't want to make too well, much of that, well, right? Because that's not directly stated. No, but here's the thing. Here's what's interesting. There's, there's enough parallel and allusions to yes. Genesis and Jonah yes. Yes. that you can't miss that, the whole Eastern right. thing. And so, and so when one goes to the tabernacle or to the temple, they're going back westward, right? Right. So what we're seeing from outside here, God's presence absolutely. and will to entering God's back into God's presence. So what we're seeing here is is a subtle nuance from the author that's suggesting 
Do you see he's moving right. away from fellowship? By the way, just to just to mention, it's not just in Genesis where they're east of Eden. It's um, it's in the story of Cain. It's a story of, of Babel. Absolutely. It's in the story of Abraham and Lot. Lot chooses the eastern side, right? Absolutely. So it's there's that significance of going outside the will of God. So there's this subtle inference that when our hearts are not congruent with the grace and mercy of God, we're moving eastward. Plus, let me just, one more time, one more thing. Plus, mm-hmm. if you're reading it from a Jewish standpoint, mm-hmm. and you're in Judea, to the east is outside of the promised Absolutely. land. So, so now there's significance there. There's some depth there. He's moving outside God's will. So, so he's moving, right? And he's going east of it. Then he made a shelter for himself, right? a covering. So do you see kind of that, that a Sukkot. similarity? There's a same, right? There's a Hebrew word that's yeah. for Ruth. And, and so you see this tent, as it were, that he makes for himself. But this is not a tent of fellowship with God. This is interesting because this is going to be a tent where he's able to observe and indict God. See, this is not a tent of fellowship. No. So, so it becomes very, very clear but, that he's moving away from the presence of God. Then, let's, 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 hold on. His whole, God has spoken to him, right? Absolutely. And challenging, I think he's challenging him. Do you have a reason to be angry? Now, it could be a Hebrew method of, of questioning, but I still think the question is still there. And I see a parallel with, with what Jonah's doing with what a believer might do who the Holy Spirit's been dealing with and, and bringing up conviction and you're suppressing and you're avoiding and you're becoming stubborn of heart. Absolutely. That's what, what Jonah is doing. He's showing the stubbornness of heart that he has and not wanting to face God's question to himself to see and look, because Jonah's never looked at his own condition or admitted right. to that. That's, again, that's the whole key between I did this and God did this, you know? Yeah, so when we look at this, John, there's this, there's this odd interaction betwixt he and Yahweh in the book. Betwixt, I love that word. <laughs> <laughs> so, so when you read this, I, I want to go back up to what you pointed out in chapter 4, verse number 4. Then Yahweh said, right? And he asks a question this time. So you're supposed to, if you're looking intertextually, yeah. you're supposed to go back to chapter number one. The word of Yahweh came yes. to Yonah, the son of Amittai, saying, Arise, go to Nineveh, the great city, and cry out against it, for their wickedness has come up before me. Now look at this. He doesn't speak to God that exactly. time either. What he does is he just rises up and flees. Right. So, so now, has he broken with that tendency? When God says something that he doesn't like, he goes silent. He gets passive aggressive. And then look, Yahweh says in verse number four, do you have a good reason to be angry? What does he do? Just like Just in thing. chapter number one. Same thing. Then he went out from the city, so, sat east of it, and he made a shelter for himself and sat under the shade until he could see what would happen in the city. Do you know why he does that? Why? Why he's the last part where it says that he he's in the he's he's there until he could see what would happen in the city. Right. He's hoping God will change. Yeah, yeah, yeah. But look, <laughs> but look, it's this major. It's our first contrast in yes. this section because that's playing off of chapter three, verse number nine. Right. Which is this: 
Okay, so remember that the pagans in Nineveh who knows? are doing what they're doing. And who knows? so they're saying, who knows? God may turn and relent and withdraw his burning anger so that we will not perish. And what's Jonah doing? So now he says, who knows? Maybe God will relent of his relenting yeah. and, and, and strike them dead. Right. So, so his going away and waiting to see is to see, this is interesting, and it almost feels blasphemous yeah. saying it. Yeah. Maybe God will come to his senses. Yeah. And maybe he'll see my perspective as righteous. Wait, okay, let's just say something here. Because the compassion and mercy and grace of God, that Jonah says, hey, I knew you were a compassion. I knew you were one who's slow to anger, abundant loving kindness, one who relents concerning calamity. I knew that. That's 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 from Genesis. That's from Exodus. You know, that's from God speaking to Moses, you know, who he's like, what God, he's a compassionate God. That's that's That's, that's Bible right there. He's hoping that God would do something that's not Bible. Wait, 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 Hold wait. on. He's hoping that God will do something that's Contra- opposite his character. Right. Because that's the first fully teased out self-divulgence of Yahweh in an extended form that we have in the first Testament under one of the worst circumstances of Israel's history. So it's almost like, and this is, um, we're going to tie this, to, I think there's something contemporary here because there's a sense of, not really liking or believing like how God is and wanting to be different than what he is. In other words, I want you to show forth, you know, uh, not compassion and grace, but judgment and wrath, because I believe that. Here's the thing. He, he has a hard time believing or accepting the way God is the way God is. He wants God to change. But for his purposes, for his and purposes. Motives. but when he's in chapter two, he praises God. You're so wonderful, right? It's interesting. I think there's a there's a huge segment in the Christian church today, or mm. former Christian church, I think, that's doing the exact same thing. We don't like the way the Bible describes God, so what we'll do with this, we'll ignore that and we'll create God in our own image, and because we don't want God to be a certain way or accept them to w- the way that He is, we'll rewrite it. Will 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 not want to face his own his own uh, attributes in our lives, and will will want to um, sort of ignore that, you know. But that's sort of I think Jonah's he's hoping that God would change and relent his relenting, and and of course, on one basis, chapter three, who knows, but that God will relent from judgment. Yeah. Jonah, he stops to see. Who knows? Maybe God will be less merciful, less gracious, faster to anger. Maybe this is a complete now, reversal that he's wanting. Now, let me ask you, though. If I'm in the story, if I'm in the Ninevites, I hope to God he doesn't change his relenting. You know, I, I, I'm relying on God and being consistent with who he said he is. I don't want a God who just suddenly flips the switch and now he's a different way. May I rephrase that, John? Yeah. God, please marry my motives to your mission. Right. I'm I'm saying I'm saying as as an Ninevites, their hope is in the their hope is in right. the fact that he is a God who has compassion. Absolutely. And f- and f- and and that he's consistent. You know, not a, a an emotional God that, that sort of loses his cool and, you know, that kind of thing. It's, he's consistent with 
his character. Which is very different than the ancient Near Eastern deities, right? Right. Who they thought were, I mean, if you, if you look in the Babylonian gods, in the Assyrian gods, in the gods of, of the literature of the Gilgamesh epic or the Atrahasis or the Enumelish, or even if you look at the Grecian Romanized gods. Right. Um, they were more like humans they than were they were fickle and yes, deities, they were, yes. right? And, and so here you see the steady-handedness of God's character and the constancy, and that bothers the prophet. Now, I love what God does, though, because um, he begins, he'll begin to teach Jonah a very important lesson, a, uh, a very um, uh, illustrative lesson through what happens in the in the events uh in the next verses um so it says it says in verse six the lord god appointed a plant and it grew up over jonah to be shade over his head to deliver him for his, from his discomfort by the way that word discomfort is there is i think it's the word ra'ah that we've seen in the in the past yeah. if i remember correctly uh, and jonah was extremely happy about the plant <laughs> now you just <laughs> this pause right there because if that doesn't get your attention, I don't know what will. That's the only thing he's ever said. It's ever it's said he's extremely happy about something. He's extremely happy about the plant that gives him shade, but he's not extremely happy about anything else in the rest of the book. Um, um, but he's happy about something that benefited him. Exactly. What does that say about him? Again, the complexity yes. of the people that God chooses. So long as it benefits me, I'm happy. Boy, that's that that's that's very human though. It's very fallen human. It is. It is. And and that's what I want to admit. I don't want to go through this book. Remember some time ago, John, that we discussed not making them out of theological cadavers? Right. God uses selfish people. Again, remember, hey. ministerially, he's the most successful missionary of the entire First Testament. And he really doesn't want to be successful to the audience that God has called him to. Do you, That selfishness I, the, is present in God's service. Okay, so this is a little confession. Let's okay. pause from Jonah. Now we're 2021. Okay. This is, this is something that, you know, I've been preaching and trying to minister and shepherd, you know, um, even just in the last day or two, the Lord has just kind of just revealed, I mean, in a gracious way, I'm coming to realizing so many selfish tendencies in myself that I was unaware of, that I was like oblivious to. Maybe other people saw that, but I was oblivious to it. And I realized, wow, I'm, I'm pretty selfish. And I'm, you know, I'm in the Bible, I'm on my knees, I'm teaching. Mm. And, and now it's like God has sort of revealed certain things in my heart. And in one sense, it's, it's humbling, but I'm also, I'm thankful that he's showing me these things. Yeah, 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 yeah. Because I, I don't think I've made it. Right. And even as, a, even as a believer, he uses pretty much everyone on planet Earth as, 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 has, has some level of selfishness to, to, to a degree, right? Absolutely. Um, there's very selfless people out there, but, um, but he chooses to use whoever he uses and, and begins to want to transform them. 
And it's something about what do you do when God then just show that, shows that to you? What do you do then when God reveals your own shortcomings? Absolutely. And I think it's not a matter of God saying, here, look how selfish you are, but more of, hey, here's where you're, here's where it's, you're at. But at the same time, Lord, thank you for showing me that because I know you're gracious enough to begin to, to process that change. But I had to come to the realization that I was like that. You know what I'm saying? Absolutely. And so, just so the pause, it just remind me of 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 Jonah's heart and his his selfish nature too. But in, in this, in, back to Jonah, God gives Jonah a life lesson in these in what happens, the plant that he grows, which is a demonstration of his mercy, right? Absolutely. Jonah's out in the in the heat. Uh, he builds he builds a little shelter, but that doesn't give him enough shade. So then God causes a plant to grow up to give him shade over his head, to deliver him from his discomfort. That's very gracious of God, very merciful of God to help Jonah not be in discomfort anymore, right? And then it says Jonah was extremely... So Jonah was happy about the mercy of God there, wasn't he? Absolutely. (laughs) And he was happy about the object of the mercy of God, namely himself, because his discomfort was ra'ah. It was, right. It it was, it was, and, and... I think an appropriate translation here for ra'ah is discomfort because of the context. But the larger context, co-text, yeah. would suggest, <clears throat> so, so for you, your discomfort is evil or wicked, but, but, and you want relief from that, yeah. but I can't bring relief from the wickedness of a higher scale. Okay, so let's point this out, because God's going to show this. We haven't gotten to that part of the text, but when God shows mercy to Nineveh, Mm -hmm. it greatly displeased Jonah. Yes. That he wants to die, in fact. (laughs) God shows mercy to Nineveh, and it displeased Jonah. Absolutely. To the point he wants to die. God shows mercy to Jonah... And he's extremely happy. Right? Yes. So when he's the recipient of God's mercy, he's enjoying it. He's but when other people are the... But now let's reverse the roles here, because here's what happened next. It says that, uh, but God appointed a worm when the dawn came the next day and attacked the plant, and it withered. So the plant goes up one day, gives him shade, God shows his mercy... Jonah is pleased with that because he's the recipient of this wonderful, wonderful mercy of God that benefits Jonah. But then a worm attacks a plant, it withers and dies. Then the sun came up and God appointed a scorching east wind, uh, and the sun beat down on Jonah's head so that he became faint and begged with all his soul, and that's literally within himself, he's begging to himself that he would die. Death is better for me than life. And it's interesting that God then uses that. Okay, the mercy to, to Nineveh, Jonah was greatly displeased. There's mercy to himself. He was greatly pleased. Judgment, judgment to Jonah displeased him. But yet he wants, he's pleased with judgment against Nineveh. See how Absolutely. God is teaching them, hey, listen, when you're the recipient of judgment, you hate it. When you're recipient of mercy and grace, you love it. Right. Nineveh is now the recipient of God's of God's mercy and not his judgment. And 
he kind of reverses the roles with Jonah, you know? Yes, he does. As a lesson. I think it's just, as, a, as you said, God's a master rabbi teacher. He, he is. What you're looking at played out here, John, through the worm and through the gourd, as it were, is a parable. Right. Now, it's literally occurring, but I'm taking parable it's... very literally here, para, alongside, bole, to throw. He's going to throw the analogy of this gourd and the shade alongside him in order to illustrate a larger truth. So textually, when we get to verse 6, so the eternal all-powerful appointed, again, we have to stop because the concept of appointment has been very specifically used throughout this book. Right. And as it's been used, remember that it's been used in the sovereignty of God to direct things, right? Worm, a storm, um, a, a fish, fish. Yep. right, etc. And remember again that that appointment has always resulted in obedience right. when God has employed other tools. The only one that it hasn't resulted in obedience is Jonah. In is Jonah. So again, there's this there's this direct kind of intertextual content that's saying once again he's employing that which is obedient to his sovereignty and to his voice, but here he's doing it again toward a disobedient and non-responsive servant. But I think, and, and that's a good point. I th I think it goes back to what we talked about in the chapter two with his prayer. Hmm. Because where it starts with him, I did this because I just, now I deserve, I remember the Lord, therefore I deserve the blessing of the Lord. Yeah. Or let's fast forward New Testament. I thank you, Lord, that I'm not like this, <laughs> this right. filthy tax collector over there. I, I tithe, I give, I, I, I obey the laws and I, you know, yeah. fast twice a week and all the I, 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 all that kind of stuff. And but so many people today are like that, where they mm. think that their Christianity or their belief and their relationship with God is so much based on them or what they do that they look at somebody else and say, "You don't do as much as I do. You don't deserve the mercy of God because I do. I've earned it." Ah, isn't that oxymoronic? That's it's very, very that's very contradictory. I've earned grace. That's the point. Yeah, I think that's I think that's that's that is um. There's a lot of Jonah people going around. A lot of Jonah, there's a lot of Jonahs around. I meet them in churches. I mean, mm. I've met them. I don't want to say I've met them at our church, but I've, I've, <laughs> I've, I've met them at many churches because they're, they carry this older brother mentality from the prodigal mm. son. I've always been faithful to you, Dad. I've never left you. You know, I've always been, and that's great. But that becomes now the basis for their acceptance in God. And it's like, and God says, no, no, at the cross. We're all in the same level playing field, right? At the cross, we're all in need of the blood of Jesus to wash away our sins. Amen? Yes. At the cross, we're all on the same page. And we weren't picked because of something that's within us. Mm -hmm. We were picked because of God's own grace and mercy and love of his own character, his own decision. So I think it goes back to that, again, where he starts off at. And now... I think God, by this questioning and this, and he'll get to the end at the end of the chapter here, where he now places Jonah in the place of Nineveh. You've been now the recipient of, uh, of mercy and you've enjoyed that. 
why wouldn't the Ninevites not enjoy that? Yeah. You know? Yeah. You're just like, you are Nineveh, Jonah. <laughs> and that, his whole pride, his human pride, so far in the story, has failed to see that. One person has said <coughs> that pride is the heavy cologne that one wears and yet struggles to detect its scent. <laughs> I know guys who wear heavy cologne, and <laughs> you can smell them a mile away. <laughs> it's like... <laughs> yeah. But it's, 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 it's hard yes. to detect the scent of it. Yes. Even though one is heavily sprayed Because you're so it, used right? to the scent of it. You live in it. You know, I... Um, I, I wrote something. I was just, and I, I know we have to finish up. The, I was about God, about God wanting to. His whole goal here with Jonah, I think his whole goal with all of us, as those of us who are believers, is to work on, um, um, to work within the believer his own heart, right? Yes. So uh, God wants to develop his heart for people within his people. That's very good. That's very good. God wants to develop his heart his heart for people in his people. Yes. And I think that's really the goal of 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 the sanctification of the Holy Spirit. The work of the Holy Spirit within the lives of believers is to the image of God, the image of Christ that's formed that he wants to form within us. That has to take place in the deepest in all the parts of our heart and any any hint that's deviant from that, God will work on it until mm. we come to the place where we realize, wow, Lord, uh, thank you for revealing this to me. And thank you for being gracious to show that pride or that selfishness within that heart. But his whole mm. goal is to develop his heart for people in his people. And yes, I think that's really that's, I think that's the goal here. And that's where he, now he ends. Look at verse nine. Then God said to Jonah, do you have good reason to be angry about the plant? Yeah, we have to go back first, John. Okay. <laughs> you know, have to go back. I, 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 <laughs> you're molasses. <laughs> yeah, I know, I am. <laughs> Crockpot, microwave type thing, you know. So, <laughs> <laughs> Slow cooker. <laughs> I simply want to appreciate what the author is undertaking great pains to join, draw for us. The sin and the distance from God that we see in Genesis keeps showing up. Right. He's very deliberate with this imagery, moving east. And then he's very deliberate with the tendencies of this sin showing up in Israel as a nation with Sukkot, right? With, with he's building this tent. This is, this is his wilderness moment. Right, right. He's in a desert and he's being tested now. And in his test, Jonah is not doing very well, just like the people of Israel. He's not doing very well before God because his heart is not doing very well. Right. And, and I want to stop and, and reverence the complexity that the author is going through, not just to write a current story where Jonah shows up, but to show the illusions that tie us into this is what sin looks like when yes. it keeps showing up, not only in Genesis, but also in the nation, in, in, in numbers, etc. And so it's, a, it's just beautiful it artistry. Is. It is. This is a lot of work. So then we get to, to, to verse number six. So the eternal all... Wait, I'm at verse nine. You're back, you're back at verse... Yeah, man. 
Yeah. I would hate to go to, to an art gallery with you, bro, because I'm telling you, you'd be... <laughs> I love to you would the be, artistry, you would right? Be, you would be enamored with just the brochure. <laughs> That's so good. That's so good. So the eternal, all-powerful appointed a plant. It grew up over... Heaven's going to be eternal for you, because I'm telling you, you're going to be standing at the gates. You're not going to proceed until you have the measurements. And like, well, what kind of pearl is that? That's interesting. <laughs> See, oh, come on in. No way. Let me let me enjoy the let me just enjoy the the complexity of That's this. So good. Why is it? Is it living? It's amazing. How tall? CL, come on in. That's see probably Jesus. me. Yeah. Like, but Where's CL? He's still better. at the gate. <laughs> you know, He's, we have fun. We have fun oh, and and love it every moment of it. Every moment of it. So he appoints a plant, and it grew up over Yonah to be a shade over his head to deliver him from his discomfort. Now, now this is interesting because there's there's this interesting thing going. This is probably miraculous. There's an expediting oh, of, of the plant growing. Of course. Um, and it and is, to is, see this miracle mirrors the 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 expediting of of getting him out of that fish. Right. Um, so. Once again, we see God relieving him, but teaching him. But here's an interesting thing. Yeah. Because what we're seeing is, even though this is an expedited miracle that appears to be relieving the prophet, the greater point of it is not the comfort as much as the instruction. The lesson. Here's what I want to pause and say. Sometimes what God appears to be using to bring comfort to a person is the very tool that he's using to discipline or teach, to teach the him. person. Yeah. Pause. Let's move away from Jonah to Psalm 73. Yeah. Is this not, you set them in slippery places. In other words, what God often does is he uses blessing to lure the unbeliever to his or her own destruction. Right. But sometimes he uses blessings in the light of the believer. Right. To lure them to discipline. Right. And that's what we see occurring. God is so subtle like that. Oh, man, he's good at that. <laughs> and and so you're watching this. It's like a judo move. You know, he, he just, he just well took said. you down with it. <laughs> yeah. He uses your weight against you and yeah. you go right into like, it thinking, well, now that's how you do it, God. All right. You've gotten with that the program. Coming. Yes. And you don't see it coming. So it grows up over him. To deliver him from his discomfort, right? This theme of right, this, deliverance. Right, right. And and what happens with Yona? He's extremely happy about what he perceives to be the deliverance. Whoa. So you are happy when God is delivering. So let me just say something, because we're we're over over an hour. Now, we can either pause here and record a second one or continue recording and have this extra long. Okay, so can we just go through verse 8? Just I'm at verse, dude, I'm at oh, verse, verse 11. I'm at verse 9. Oh, do no, we want, okay, no, no. let's do this. So we'll just go through 8. Verse 8. Okay, so, 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 so he's, he's happy about deliverance. Because we got to get some lessons here. Oh, absolutely. Well, let's, get some, let's get to some lessons because we want to give our listeners some... Something to take home. He's happy about deliverance in his way. Right. 
for his target. His way. If it's me. If it's me. I'm good. If it's what I'm okay with. But isn't. I'm good. If it relieves me, I'm good. If it makes me feel good, I'm good. If it makes me feel good, I'm good. If it meets my needs, I'm good. If it goes according to my plan, I'm good. It's almost like he wants God to be a little little genie bottle. So then I want to ask God's question. Like to rub the genie bottle and, and say, as long yeah. as you're doing it for me, God, we're good. So, so here's, here's what I want to ask. I want to ask a few questions on behalf of God. Jonah, is it okay for me to be sovereign? Yeah. Second question. Jonah, are you trying to be sovereign here? Third question. Whose rules are we following, yours or mine? Fourth question. Um, so, so, Jonah... Um, the plan of deliverance, isn't it to relieve from that which scorches and brings discomfort? So you can see this scorching you. You can't see their sin right. scorching them and bringing <clears throat> discomfort to them. So, so is it possible for you to, to walk under this and see the wonderful relief that it's bringing to you. But I think in chapter 3, those people are relieved. You're, you're, you're experiencing, Jonah, a small... A microcosm. A micro-segment of what they would have experienced or had experienced. You, you, you were relieved from a scorching sun by a plant, they're relieved from great devastation. Yeah. Which is so much more massive. So much more You know, more the, the ultimate question you just asked there is, can I be God? Yeah, we don't like to think of that, do we, we John? No, but, because but we, that is I think that's that the, struggle the ultimate question is, can, do we have a problem with God being in control and God being God and doing things the way he wants to do things. And if we have a problem with God being God, who do we hoist up as a better candidate? Because here, <clears throat> Jonah wouldn't say this because that's blasphemy, right? No. But he's certainly acting like he's a better candidate. Right. Yeah, but that's that's pretty... It's not just Jonah. It's... Well, that's cocky. It's... that That's... But, but you see how we become so self-deceived? That that if you asked him, he would say, what, chapter number one? No, I worship the God of the land and the sea. Let's just be very clear. So right. as a good Hebrew, let me, let me correct your theology. But do you really have the correct theology when, when he goes to be the God of the land and the sea and of right. people? Right. And you say, no, 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 no. That not won't do. Let me let me better instruct you, God. It's, but CL, it goes back. It goes back to Genesis, <clears throat> Genesis three. Illusion, you got it. Who who's going to be God of your life? Atonamas. 
self-rule. Right. Who calls the shots, really? I don't think he sees a bit of diablerie here in him. No. I don't think he sees a bit of Adam in him here. I don't think he sees the stubbornness of Israel in him here. And here's the real thing. I don't think I see a bit of, of, of diablerie in me, a bit of Adam in me, a bit of a longing for self-rule, autonomy in me, the desire to call the shots in me. Right. I don't think I see that. And God helped me to see that. Right. Because that's, that looks like it's several books removed from Genesis, but that's the stuff that killed us at the tree. But you know, uh, CL, it's in every person. It every is. person that has to come to the point where either Jesus is going to be Lord of your life or you are. And you can't have you claiming to be have Jesus as Lord and live like he's not. Either he's Lord or he's not. And that's the wrestling that happens. And that's the wrestling so, match of the kingdoms of the world, right? Kaisa yeah. Kaisa. Caesar is Lord. Why do you think that the gospel author deliberately writes my Lord and my God in the mouth of Thomas? Because what he's trying to say is, no, there is a real Lord and and you're not him. And and listen at the arrogance of of Pilatos, right? Of Pilate, right? Right. Don't you know that I have authority? Let's be clear. (laughs) Let's be clear. Yeah. You wouldn't have this authority unless yeah. it had been given to you by my so, Father in heaven. So let's do this. Let's wrap up this recording with a, with just maybe a, a brief lesson, and then we'll do a we'll finish up the book in the next recording. Because we'll I think tr- we'll try. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> what verse nine to eleven? <laughs> I know you, there are other books in the Bible. <laughs> so you know good. you do really, we chose like Ruth Jonah thank God we're not like in you know Isaiah because that would take until yeah the end of eternity to go through but the lesson I think that we, we've already brought out the lessons but I think you know ultimately it's God working within the hearts of Jonah and Jonah's uh, the realization of his own character and the realization of of uh, his own sovereignty, and yeah, and for Jonah, and of course, the, we haven't got to the to the end of the, the thing, but ultimately, is letting God be God, and we have to come to that realization that we're not God, you know. So when I think <clears throat> that God is agreeing with me rather than me agreeing with God. I need to be careful what grows over me to bring me comfort. Yeah. Because just as sure as that comes, he also appoints a worm to show me where I really am. It it eats at the root of what I thought really brought me comfort. And it's probably one of the most important things that he does in my life because he appoints the heat. He appoints the worm. He appoints the scorching wind right. to show me what? I'm not God. Mm-mm. And to show me sometimes greater lessons are learned in my life by the discomfort that I'm exposed to rather than the comfort that I think I require. Mm. I, I, I don't like the worm. 
like the heat. I don't like the scorching wind. But I like getting off of his throne. I like, I don't like the process by which he unseats me. But that I must be unseated yeah. is so critical. Yeah. Because it's self-deceptive. It, it's, it's, it's the same stuff that, that got a hold of Satan, didn't it? Yep. Lucifer yep. slash Satan. I will exalt my throne above the Most High. It's the same stuff that got a hold of Adam, didn't it? He wasn't deceived, but he made a decision of autonomy. It's the same kind of stubbornness that got a hold of Yisrael as a nation. It's the same sort of obstinance that got a hold of the most successful missionary in the First Testament. And if I'm not careful, it's the same stuff that gets a hold of me. So, so I want to be careful how I say this, John, but I'm not grateful for it now. I'm, I'm not really um, happy with it now. But I need those moments that remind me there is a God and I'm not him. I need those, for a moment, those moments that remind me all flesh is grass. I need those moments that remind me um, that I'm human and I'm fallen. Yeah. I need those moments where I'm thinking I'm going to carry on this fight and the angel of the Lord appears and I ask him a dumb question like, are you with us or him? Right. And first of all, he chooses to completely dismiss my foolhardy question by saying neither. Well, that's not what I expected. Yeah. Because I want to believe I have a righteous cause. No, I have a righteous God who gives me my righteous cause and my righteous orders. And even though I don't like it, the most comforting words that I can hear is, no, but I am come as the captain yeah. of the Lord's army. Yeah. You're in a better place yeah. when I'm the Lord than when you're the Lord. Help me to realize that. Yeah. Help me to worship there. Help me to rest there. Yeah. Help me to to uh to break down my Sukkot. Yeah. Get out of this wilderness. Go back west. Yeah. Into the presence of the Lord and and be who He wants me to be and do what He wants me to do. And I'm I'm careful about that because I'm not the guy who for purposes of a broadcast wants to pray those uncomfortable prayers on anybody else no. or on myself. Here's what I really want to say. Lord, help me to realize it and embrace it so that you don't have to send a scorching east yeah. wind with a lot of heat and a worm to eat up what's over my head. I don't want a false comfort. I want the comfort of you being God and knowing that I'm your servant, your slave. And you're the one who's in charge. Amen. Thank you again for listening to Living Truth with John Corr and C.L. Mitchell. If you would like to hear this podcast again or previous episodes, you may do so at passionforhisword.com. That's passionforhisword.com. You may also like us on Facebook at Living Truth Radio Broadcast. That's Living Truth Radio Broadcast. 
Again, our prayer for you is that God would sanctify you in truth, for His Word is truth.